Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, it is good to be back with you. It is good to be able to talk about football. Now, maybe we get started on something that's a little mundane, i.e., is it the second week of camp and there's three weeks to get ready for the game, or are we on the second week of a three-week camp and there's two weeks to get ready for the game? I haven't figured that out, and Coach Norvell hasn't told me. You're just happy that you're not participating because if you're a current player, you're looking at the calendar and it seems interminable to get from the first day of practice, which actually started with their extended workouts before practice. And now the season starts as late as it uh, has in a long time. Well, just note that we call it fall camp. We do not refer to it as two-a-days. I know, I know, duly noted. Because back in your day, you walked uphill in the snow backwards both ways to get to two-a-days. So twice with a no day shoes, day. with no cleats, with no socks. Yeah, and there's not even black and white tape that exists anymore to document those days, Keith. But anyway. <laughs> So let's talk football on field. There's actually news to speak of. Uh, Unfortunately, the deeper you get into camp, you get injuries. Uh, One of the highlights of camp is when you have extra scholarships, you get to hand them out to some walk-ons. We've had some of that. We had a quarterback go down. That was old news. We talked about that last week. We've had another scrimmage. And the mantra that always seems to be true at this time of year is the defense is ahead of the offense, which is the resounding takeaway from the second scrimmage that was held on Saturday. Yes, and, uh, and to back up on the quarterback uh, talk, revealed today, if I understood correctly, that uh, Jordan Travis has actually not participated in the two scrimmages, though he has been working out and is now back to active duty. Be that as it may, uh, Saturday scrimmage, the second scrimmage, uh, dominated by the defense. Coach Norvell was not happy after the scrimmage, um, challenged uh, the offense when they reviewed the game tape, scrimmage tape, if you will, on Sunday. And for the last couple of days, Monday and Tuesday, I uh, haven't gotten a report from Wednesday yet, but for Monday and Tuesday, the offense responded, and he seemed very pleased with that. And that's one of the things you do have to pay attention to, particularly with a new staff and installing a new system, and you're in fall camp. 
how do the kids as a unit respond to adversity? And you're exactly right. The book, whoever wrote it, says the defense will be ahead of the offense. So you're always concerned about putting points on the board. But a segment, or in this case, the offense as a unit, bad scrimmage, responding with two good days of practice, that's a positive sign, I think. Well, I've been impressed with this coaching staff, so I don't have any doubts that they will get the most out of whatever the ceiling is for this team. But I will ask you this, because on Sunday what Coach Norvell did is he went back, and we've heard this before, through not just the last coaching staff, but the one before that. And that is you look at a play, and it's not as if 11 guys made a mistake. It's one guy who didn't hold a block or didn't run the wrong, the correct route or the quarterback didn't get a deep enough drop. But it's one player, not 11. And so if you fix that, Jimbo would say you're out the gate, right? That was the, the Jimbo ease. And Coach Norvell pointed that out to his team. So my question to you is, what does it take to get that one guy to not screw it up during that play? And I understand it's a different guy each play. It's really a bigger question. Do you think that they're pressing? Do you think it's new offense? Do you think we need to reserve judgment? Because to be fair, this is a new coaching staff that had no spring and we're two weeks into it. What do you think when you hear that based on the fact we've heard it before? I believe it's a litany of things, but I'll also tell you from a macro standpoint, Tommy, it's always been that way. It was that way when I was playing. Coach Bowden for 34 years just didn't talk about it that way. He just said, we got to get better on offense, or we got to get better on defense, or we got to get better in the running game, or we got to get better in pass defense. He wouldn't say we were one player or two players off. That's just not the way he talked about. When Jimbo came in, because he's so precise about everything he does, he introduced that to us, and we've just continued to hear it. That's kind of the new way of discussing it. But it's always been that way. What happens is you grow together as a unit. How do you grow together as a unit? reps. So when you get further in the camp, you get into game prep, you get a little bit on page plus, you narrow things down when you install your game plan. Instead of having X number of plays, you have X less number of plays that you repeatedly go over, and those things seem to work out. Now, once you get into the season, that's when you start making personnel changes. If we're not running the ball well because the left tackle is missing a block every other play, we get a new left tackle in there. But in camp, this is kind of the norm. It's just being explained in a way that maybe is a little different than any of us that have been around for a long time have heard it. Yeah, certainly than it's been historically. Recently, this has been the way it's been detailed because we, we've heard it. So all that said, are you concerned at this point or are you more of the defensive glasses half full because maybe it has a chance to be a really good defense? Uh, I'm going to answer it in a silly way. I have no idea. I've not seen them. All we're hearing is what the coaches and the players are saying in their Zoom conferences. All we're seeing is the limited number of plays that the uh, sports information folks are posting. Unless and until somebody sees somebody live, uh, I don't know that you can make an estimation. And, and it's kind of interesting, too, because one of the questions that was asked this week uh, by one of the younger reporters was a real simple question that, that I had kind of looked at, but I hadn't paid any attention to. But in one of the um, uh, videos that was posted and available to the media, there was at least one player in an orange jersey. You know, we know the green jersey means no contact. And, I, and, and one of the writers asked, what does the orange jersey mean? And Norvell got a huge, huge grin on his face and says, well, 
We're not going to go into details about what that jersey means, but let's just say it's negative. Well, and that, that came out in the spring. I mean, that's sort of like your scarlet letter if you're wearing that one. That is not the right attire. You showed up at a black tie event in your board shorts and a, and a, and a wife beater. You get a couple weeks into camp, Keith, and the injuries, they don't always mount, but uh, often they do. So uh, it's interesting when you look at this year's camp that Florida State has lost newcomers. You know, you have a freshman quarterback who had just gotten on campus who goes down. You had a tight end who transferred in that would have been valuable and was learning the system. He goes down last week. Now Zane Herring, an offensive lineman from Madison County, who probably wasn't going to start but was going to contribute. He's lost for the year. And uh, this is why you need other bodies. But, but, but when you hear about, particularly with a tight end and an OL, Florida State could use as many tight ends in OL as they can find based on the last couple of years. Yeah, when you talk about run production and specifically when you talk about the offensive line in terms of run blocking as well as pass blocking, that's the one segment of all of them that you would say needed the most improvement. Uh, so certainly losing uh, pieces and parts uh, is not uh, is not advantageous. However, again, haven't seen, but if you listen to Norvell, uh, he, he likes the way the offensive line is progressing. Uh, he likes the, the, the communication. Uh, he likes the work ethic. Now they just have to perform, and, you know, time will tell whether they can do that. That certainly beats the alternative where when asked the question, he might roll his eyes or Kelly might roll his eyes and say, well, we got a lot more work to do. At least they're seeing some things that impress them from that unit. Since we last talked, Keith, the team went through some bonding. A lot of players spoke positively on social media about that. That was, I think, last Wednesday or Thursday. And then the next day they had Warwick Dunn speak to the team at practice. Not so much the Warwick Dunn talk, which I'm sure that it was all ears and uh, he should command respect given what he's put together in terms of a career, not just as a football player, but the team bonding. How much stock do you put into that? How much of that can you really not recognize or see how solid it is, how solid the foundation is, until it's winning time, the game's on the line, somebody needs to make a play, that sort of thing? Tommy, I, I, my take on it is it's a generational thing. So I look at the kids that are on the team right now, and, and I basically say they're two generations removed from me. And how they communicate and how they interact is far different than the way I did it back then or the generation between my group and this group. Today's kids versus two generations ago don't do things just because you tell them to do them. Two generations ago, my group, we didn't question coaches. We did what we were told to do. We didn't talk a lot amongst each other back then. We lived together. We ate together. We were together all the time, but there wasn't a lot of deep, meaningful conversation. Candidly, in my group, that came when we started having reunions and catching up and having children and those types of things. Apparently, and I can only relate this to my oldest grandchildren, they want to text each other. They want to talk to each other. They want to converse with each other. They want to know about each other's feelings. They want to know where, they, where they've come from, what they're thinking. It will translate into greater cohesiveness long-term. It may not benefit against Georgia Tech or early on in the season against Miami, but it is a positive thing for this generation. 
my estimation, our listeners, some of them may disagree with me, but I think it's a very, very wise thing and a smart thing that the staff is doing because, again, these kids react positively to that. My group, we'd have sat there like a bunch of stumps on a log or frogs on a stump, whatever the case is, and I wouldn't be volunteering that stuff. I don't want Reggie Herring to know I broke up with my seventh-grade girlfriend and it took me a week to get over it. Is that a true story? Is that a true example? Well, I didn't talk to Reggie about it. I talked to Scott, but that's a whole different story for another day. <laughs> Thank, thanks for clarifying. I'll let you off the hook. I won't probe any deeper on that one. Besides, you can't remember anything from that long ago at this point, so you'd be making Probably it up true. anyway. Probably true. Yeah. So the here's the highlight, Keith. I've buried the lead. The college football playoff is proceeding as scheduled this year without the Big Ten and the Pac-12. We got 76 teams signed up to play football. You know what that means? The Big and the Pack can just go back to meeting in the Rose Bowl and we can cut them out and we can get on with our business <laughs> and not have the Rose Bowl parade mess up the whole college football playoff schedule going forward. Are you with me? I'm with you. I'm with you. I like it. I also like the fact that the AP released their top 25. And if I saw it correctly, you correct me because I, I know you eyeballed it. But Ohio State is number two which means if or when Clemson ever loses is number one, Ohio State becomes number one, and because they will remain undefeated the rest of the season, they will be declared our national champion, even though they never played a game. I think actually what will happen is once games start getting played, those who are not competing will get dropped out of the poll, but you do bring up a point. And <laughs> imagine this, for as much as we as Florida State folks want to see football this fall, and we're creeping closer, Imagine if you had a team as talented as Ohio State and you weren't getting a chance to play this fall. Now, that, that sort of is there where they, are in, where they are in football is where we were in basketball when the NCAA tournament went away. Well, and think about this. If we are successful in competing in the fall, and as we talked about last week, that jury's still out. We may get started and have to end it depending on circumstances. But if the Pac-12 and the Big Ten play in the spring – what do they do for bowl games and or national championships? I just told games? you they go to the Rose Bowl and play a game. They can throw a parade right before the game and they can play another Rose Bowl game. I didn't I didn't fully comprehend what you're saying. So you're you're saying move the Rose Bowl from the beginning of the year to somewhere around Memorial Day and then let those two conferences play for a national championship. Actually, so I was just kind of I was kind of wishfully thinking that in future years we'd do that. No, if I was the big, I'd play the winter schedule and I'd kick off I'd put Michigan and Ohio State or something like that or or put well, if you want to do big and pack, get USC and Ohio State or Michigan to play in the Rose Bowl and start the year. But that's for them to figure out. All I know is FSU's odds to make the playoff, they were 1 in 130. Now they're 1 in 76. And we haven't even played a game, Keith, and we're improving. See what uh, two, I did more, two more weeks, we'll be half again. <laughs> we're going to take a break. We're going to turn our attention to golf because Florida State has a star that may be better than anybody who's come through this program before. That conversation is up next on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith.
Countdown, Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. We will open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. Say hello to a longtime friend and a fixture around these parts at this point. He is in charge of uh, intercollegiate golf at Florida State University, the men's golf coach, Trey Jones. How are you, coach? Good, Tom. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I, I do want to, you know, I'll start with a softball here, and he doesn't listen to our show anyway, so you can say whatever you want, but what have you learned or what have you tried to forget from all these years of uh, doing a national golf show with Jeff Cameron? It's just the three of us here. So feel free well, to hammer away. Well, th- thanks for, thanks for having me on. And I listen to your show and I bet he listens to, to this show. He should, if he doesn't, but um, you, you know, Jeff is uh, he's a pro's pro uh, getting in and out of segments. And, you know, there's sometimes during our season where, there just isn't a whole lot to talk about, and uh, Jeff's a pro at that. And uh, he's, he's, I've just learned a lot from him on how to, how to do that and uh, be professional about everything. And it gives us a chance to just jump right into your star right now and John Pack, who qualified for the U.S. Open. I mean, he's, he's doing things that even those aforementioned names and, and stars didn't do while they were at, were at FSU. So tell us a little bit about uh, – you know, what you have in terms of a golfer and an individual here and who's been stellar during his FSU career? So if, if you, you know, that, that's a great question. But um, if you look at John Pack's stats, he has accomplished more in the time that he's been here than any player that we've ever had here. And um, from, from consistency to the only thing John hasn't done is John has not performed in the national championships. Like, like the other guys have. So that's his next step. Um, he's obviously he's playing in the U S open coming up and, uh, that, that'll be a great experience for him too. But when you, when you look at all of John's stuff and the records and everything, he's going to go down as arguably the best, uh, college player that we've had. If he can, um, tie on some stuff at the, uh, at the postseason. To put it in perspective, Two questions, well, actually, a question and a statement. But number one, how many players will there be in the U.S. Open, and therefore, how many are amateurs? And I read somewhere where all the qualifying's been done. There was like eleven hundred or twelve hundred eligible folk in order to qualify for the tournament. Did I read that correctly? So, is he, you know, Keith, that's, that's a good point. It was an interesting year because the normally to get in the U.S. Open, they have their qualifications, but this year without wanting to risk people for COVID getting out and traveling around, they pretty much went to the selection criteria, but that through that selection criteria, they went back and looked at how many amateurs do we generally have in the field? Um, so that number came out to be 13. So they have 13 amateurs playing. Well, what's the best way to get to that 13? And it, and they had different formulas, but one of them was, the top six ranked, top seven ranked players in the world amateur golf rankings after the U.S. Amateur, and John came in and qualified under that as one of the top seven amateurs in the world. So uh, that's how he got his exemption in. But uh, you know, a few others got in for maybe winning the U.S. Amateur the year before, or the British Am the year before, a U.S. Mid Amateur. So there's there's a total of 13 amateurs. So I don't want to make it sound like this is his home course, but as it turns out, he grew up pretty close to Wingfoot, did he not? <laughs> he did. Uh, he's from Scotch Plains, New Jersey. So it's about an hour from his house. Uh, that is unfortunate that 
he's not um he's not gonna have his fans there and friends and stuff just because of the restrictions that would have been a, a really cool thing for him to have that many people around and you know those new yorkers in new jersey is what would have sure pulled for their guy when he came through what is the common denominator that you see in players like Brooks and Berger and other greats you've coached and a guy like John Pack? What do they all have? Love golf. They absolutely love it. It's something that uh, I'm sure, Keith, when you were in the locker room, you could tell the players that really love their sport and the, sons that were do- and the ones that were doing it because they were good at it and some just didn't want to be there. But they, the the great ones for me have had an unbelievable love for the game. So it never felt like work for them. Uh, now they like different parts of the game. Brooks just liked to compete. You know, he wasn't a great, uh, big into practice as much. Uh, Daniel a little bit, but Jonas Blix, I mean, the best part of his day all day was at the golf course. Well, that's, that's John, that's John Pack too. He just loves golf. Every time you go up to him, he's got a smile on his face. He's, this is where he wants to be. We had an assistant basketball coach, uh, Charlton Young, on last week, and he coined a phrase or mentioned a phrase I'm trying to coin. I don't know how it would relate to yours, but I'll tell you what he said they were looking for in recruits, and you tell me the golf version of it. For, uh, for basketball, they're looking for high-character high gym rats, HCGR. <laughs> what, what, what's your acronym for what you're looking for on your golf team? <laughs> Well, well, we we actually take it a little bit differently there. Obviously, the, the high character, but we call them golf nerds. So they're just and uh, they're eating up with CGNs. <laughs> Absolutely, they're uh, they're golf nerds, and um, we 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 laugh about it when some of the conversations that they may be having. Let's talk about your new your new course, Trey, and uh, you know. Unfortunately and fortunately, I guess, I mean, you, you cut the ribbon on the, the, the new course just before the pandemic. Uh, and so I feel like it went out of people's minds uh, a little bit. But then the fortunate part is, even when we've been quarantined, golf is one of the activities that we can participate in. So give us a thumbnail on how it's been since it's opened, you know, how much activity you're getting out there. Uh, you know, is it what you, you hoped for when you were drawing up the plans on this? Uh, it's 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 more than that. I think um, if anything, uh, prior to to opening, I think I undersold it a little bit to people of what it would be like. It's it's hard to get out of your mind what what was there when you're looking at the the same piece of property um, of how different it can be. And as it matures, you see these differences. And I see them even in my practice area too, where I wasn't that excited about some of the things, and and now I look at them and just kind of go, oh my wow you know, it's an amazing job they did out here. So from, from that, from that standpoint, uh, they definitely overproduced uh, from, from what I thought it would be. And I thought it would be great. And, but uh, it, it, it surpassed that from, from a uh, excitement level or activity level. I met with them a day or two ago and I, the, the membership staff, and I believe they were shooting for about 270 people to be signed up by right now was a goal. And that, that's starting in March and they're over 400. So the uh, memberships could, could not be going any better. And, and uh, we're starting to get into a really good problem of uh, uh, having a lot of people out here. The ultimate hope is 
to play regionals, NCAA championships, even even pro tournaments there? What's the vision long term? Absolutely. So this year, uh, in year one, we're going to host our tournament, our, our two uh, collegiate tournaments, our men's tournament and our women's tournament. And then after that, uh, we got our NCAA regionals we're going to have this year. We had bid on it. Um, so, so we're glad we were awarded that, but down the road, definitely we, we've had, uh, extensive talks with people about charities and different things that, um, we would like to get a champions tour event out here. And we believe we have the, all the pieces in place. We, we, we have a great town. Um, we have an unbelievable golf course. that will definitely hold us on a membership that is thriving. So it's just, uh, we need to get out of this time period we're in. And then when that happens, we can start focusing on um, some things down the road. But uh, we definitely want to have some form of uh, professional golf tournament out here. We've talked about uh, football, and we're getting ready to talk about basketball simply because of the time of the year and with the pandemic and the changes and people playing and not playing. I just asked you the open-ended question. How has this affected your recruiting and your ability to work with your kids as it relates to men's golf? So from a recruiting aspect, we were in a pretty good spot before all this came down. Um, there was there was one player that uh, 2022 that we were really, 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 really on, and we had to back off of him because of the rules and everything. And that's opened back up, so 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 we're fine. We're fine there. Uh, the problem is is those players that we we just needed to see again, or some of the guys that came out a little bit late. And we haven't been able to see them. And, and I have a hard time committing to someone without seeing them play and without watching them. And uh, videos and phone calls are great, but nothing replaces uh, just just being out there with them. And, and we take a lot of pride in how many times we'll watch a player before we make a commitment. So we're trying to stick to that right now of saying, okay, you know, we're, we're going to hold our guns and we're not going to offer until we can see you. But um, as this thing, these dead periods creep on, into potentially the start of next year, you feel for the players. You know, the, the, these young guys want to find a place to go, and they, they want to do that. So um, hopefully it doesn't come down to that. But uh, that's been the biggest effect. We just haven't been able to evaluate, evaluate like we wanted to. But we, we've had several commitments prior to that, and um, we're, uh, we feel like we're in a really good spot. What about work with your current kids? So, so we can't, you know, right now we're, they're all being tested. Um, they're going to be tested this week. And when they get their tests back, uh, then they have their physicals for the university and, and for the athletic department. But after they get that, then we can actually get in there with them. But how that's changed is before they wouldn't have had to have a test first. They wouldn't have had to have a COVID test first. And we would have had all their uh, physicals lined up on different dates. So everything has been pushed back. Uh, for one reason or another. So so we're just slow starting the year. We, The ACC made the decision not to play fall golf, uh, which we play fall and spring, and, and they count for the same season. So um, we're disappointed about that, that we can't compete this fall. But uh, we'll, we'll do our best, and uh, we'll be ready to play in the spring for sure. You know, we talked about John Pack, but you've got another senior back, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but – he was a senior this past year and, and took advantage of getting an additional year of eligibility because the spring season was shut down. Is that right with Jamie Lee? 
Jamie Lee did, and, and that actually came for a really good time for Jamie because he has graduated. He graduated in four years, which which we promote, and uh, we've had a great track record of. Uh, but Jamie wants to be on a great golf team, so to return and play with John for another year. But we also have, uh, and here right now is uh, the number two or three ranked player in the country out of Coral Gables, and freshman Brett Roberts, who's enrolled who um, we think is going to be phenomenal and uh, have a transfer in that's ranked in the top 40 in the world as well. So uh, along with everyone we had re uh, returning, then uh, I feel like this is going to be a great year. We just, we just need the, we just need the green light to go play. And, and as we wrap up, Trey, I, you know, based on what you just said too, I mean, I know you're a competitor, you feel like you've got good ingredients there. So, you have to you have to deal with the circumstances are they as they are, which means that you're not going to have the fall golf season, which I would assume is normally a time when you're tweaking or working on swings or lineups or that sort of thing. So that's going to change the dynamic of spring when you get into just regular competition, is it not? Absolutely, and so we're going to start earlier this year because because we couldn't play in the fall, we would normally wouldn't start competing until the middle of end of February. But uh, we're, we're going to play in January. And fortunately, in Florida, we can do that. Um, so you're going to see, instead of us playing in October, September and October, you're going to see a little bit more January, February golf. Um, the, the key there, once again, is just to get prepared for the end of the year. It's, it's, it's a unique sport to where you can play great all year long, but it's kind of like the basketball tournament. You know, you could have a phenomenal year, but if you get knocked, around, knocked out of that thing in the first or second round, that's what you get remembered by. So um, our whole thing is how do we get ready for, for the end of the year, and uh, we'll be fine doing that. I have, I have no uh, no questions. These guys are, are playing in some individual tournaments throughout the year, which you hate to see them have them pay for themselves, but uh, their, their families are supporting them, and they're going to get some competition over the over the Christmas break and, and um, some of the fall to uh, fill that gap because if you, if you don't have a tournament to play for or something, it's just, it's really hard to keep it going uh, for them. That's just the way they wired. They've been doing it their whole life that way. So we're, we're trying to keep that going. And, and then on, on our end, do our development as well. Coach, hang in there. We appreciate a few minutes of your time. Congratulations on uh, the team you've put together, the new golf course you've got, just all the success you've enjoyed at Florida state and condolences that you continue to work with Jeff Cameron on a weekly basis. <laughs> Tommy Keith, you guys, you guys are the best. I sat down with you guys in Tampa before I ever got started on that uh, PJ tour radio show and asked your thoughts about it. And, and you guys were uh, reassuring to me that uh, it could be done. And uh, fortunately it's been a lot of fun. And, and we didn't warn you about Cameron and you've held it against us ever since. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, there, that that probably could have been the second meeting. <laughs> hey, no, we're you know we're poking fun at Jeff, but I remember that conversation. And I, I, the counsel I think we provided is just that it's hard to go it alone and do a show like what Jeff does. I've done it, not nearly as well as what Jeff does. So he really does have a. It's a gift, and I, I think you've realized that too. For me, it's always been much easier if you have somebody to bounce the idea off of rather than to just deliver a monologue. But Jeff's able to do both, and that's to his credit. So you can get back into a corner, and he keeps you out of that. You know, where you start down a path, and he'll 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 get me back and straight and where I need to be going. But I have done 
a few shows where he couldn't be on uh, the show and help me out, get through it or whatever. And you're right. Just to navigate the entire time is a completely different deal and, and you need a good partner. And uh, fortunately we both have those. Appreciate it, Trey. Good to catch up. All right. Take care. Thanks, Trey Jones, coach. FSU men's golf coach. I do remember that conversation, Keith. And I do as well. You know, the thing of it is, everybody, whatever the profession is, if you sit back and say, man, that's easy, how hard could it be? That just tells you that the person who's doing it is really good at what they're doing, right? So, Well, that just simply right. illustrates that you and Trey have one thing in common. You have to carry me for every show, and he has to carry <laughs> Jeff for every show. <laughs> All right. So, enough of this. Enough hey, of this. We'll go to break. Hang on, hang on during the break, Trey. We'll go to break, come back with more Front Row Knowles after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Tom Block back with you. We gave KJ a hall pass for this segment as we bring in our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. We reopened the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And Let's catch up on what's going on uh, on the field. Had a good conversation, Bob, with Trey Jones and regarding the golf program last segment, but I know people are interested in football fodder right now as we're more than, uh, not more than, less than three weeks, just more than two weeks away from the start of the season. Uh, I continue to be pleased by that. But what's, uh, what, what's sort of the midweek update right now as we're two scrimmages in and creeping closer to opening kickoff? It sounds like Coach Norvell is is pleased, I think, with a lot of position groups and, and starting to make those decision-making, um, you know, taking a look at position by position, who's going to be where on the depth chart. And really, there's there's no third scrimmage. So he's going to have some periods here and there within practices so he can kind of see, you know, where's a second-team guy fit, where's a third-team guy fit. But, you know, as you said, you know, Georgia Tech's coming up now just two and a half weeks away. And it's, it's time for them to make serious decisions and also start game planning for Georgia Tech. When you talk about serious decisions, everybody focuses on quarterback. At this point, anything other than James Blackman would be a surprise. Is that right? I think it's a two-man race between James and Tate Rodemaker, and I fully expect we'll see both of those guys play against Georgia Tech. Now, in what capability, how much does Tate play? Do you give James the starting assignment? But mix in some drives for Tate. It's my belief that you can learn a lot on the practice field and in scrimmages and and scrimmages sometimes can feel like a preseason game, especially if you're going up against Florida state's defensive line. And then that's a very good secondary too. So that's great experience for Tate, but you're only really going to learn if you're playing in a game. I think he needs some drives. He needs some opportunities against Georgia tech and you have to put him in positions where he can succeed high percentage passes, um, you know, out into the flats, swing passes, screens, whatever, but, but give him some confidence, give him some tape to, you know, review in the coming weeks and help him grow and develop. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's looking like it's one of those two guys. And, and I think we will see both when the season opens. Rather than project the starters, unless you're willing to do so offensively, who are three or four names that you feel like offensively have had really good camps and are definitely going to be 
key contributors, whether they're the first running back out there or just a guy who's getting the most snaps, that sort of thing? The position group that Coach Norvell is is clearly most pleased with on the offensive side is running back. So Jay Sean Corbin coming off a pretty big knee injury at Texas A&M, but he is now, I think, the guy that you're going to see a lot of um, opportunities for him, whether he's the starter or the number two. Uh, really a dynamic runner, could be a guy who's in the mix in the return game. Really curious to see how he fits in as a running back. Um, heard, heard great things about Keyshawn Helton, his work ethic in the offseason, getting back from that major knee injury. He did really everything right that he had to do in the offseason and hit the ground running. You know, Mike Norvell at one point saying, if he's not full go, I really want to see what full go looks like because he looks really, really good. So I think that's a name to look for at um, at receiver. You know, a lot of big question marks on the offensive line, and it's it's tough to pinpoint. Norvell has said they're looking for eight guys. They're just trying to find those eight. And I think that kind of means you're starting five plus another guard, a center, and a tackle. Consistently, he seems very happy with a couple of freshmen, Thomas Schrader and Robert Scott. It seems very difficult for me to think those guys are going to plug in and start week one as true freshmen. But could you see them get some significant playing time um, as backups? I think that's that's something that they're going to want to see. You know, are those guys ready to contribute uh, as backups? Have we heard much about two of the names that we thought would be key on the OL this year based on last year? And that's Darius, Darius Washington and Dante Lucas. I think they're really happy with Darius. Uh, you know, Alex Atkins talking about his athleticism. Darius is a guy who can really, really move well, has good feet. And that the big question with him was just coming off that shoulder injury. Did he have the strength? Did he have the punch to kind of fight off a defensive lineman? And really for his development, you're going up against Josh Kando a lot of days. That, that's got to help you on a day-to-day basis. So, uh, you know, we think he'll be the starter at left tackle. And and Dante Lucas at right guard is, is a guy who really could develop into an all ACC caliber lineman. You know, it, it'll be interesting to see how the pieces kind of fit in around him at center. Uh, that could be Andrew Baselli. It could be uh, Murray Smith. And at right tackle could be Devontae Love-Taylor. But you kind of feel like Lucas is a guy you can build around for the future. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing what, what those guys do in the coming weeks. You just mentioned Josh Kando. It feels like, by all accounts, he's had a good camp. Uh, the defense being ahead of the offense is certainly the story that emerged out of the second scrimmage. The question is, is it really good defense or is it really bad offense? So where do you think we are on that spectrum? You know, the only answer I think you, you can go to is yes. It, it can be a little bit of both, right? Um, this defensive front is probably one of the best, if not the best in the country. And this offensive line is, is coming off some years where they've been among the worst in the country. So you have to take a little bit of each with a grain of salt. But I think the, the big overwhelming positive is we always felt Josh Kando when he was dialed in and, and willing to compete and use that frame that, you know, that six, seven, what, 245 and that big wingspan, you know, what can he do rushing the passer? What can he do knocking down passes, you know, with his big arms? That's a guy who I think really can contribute. And how do you one-on-one matchup, you know, if you're an offensive line, how do you one-on-one matchup if you're an offensive coordinator when you've got 
you know, Marvin Wilson and Corey Durden and Josh Kando and, and Jay Rob and Robert Cooper mixed in, there's just too much to try and scheme against. So I, I think you end up, when you, when you play for state, you have to leave a, a tight end in or, um, you know, chip with the running backs. And I still think we're going to see successful, you know, up front from the defensive line. And, and that's how you're going to win games this year. We, we've talked a little bit about this. It might not be pretty on offense. You might have to win some games by your defense really playing suffocating and you win on special teams. And, and maybe the offense only puts up 20, 21 points, but, but the defense is, you know, holding them to 14 or 17, for example. Let me ask you this related to offense, though. And I liked Kendall Bryles, and that offense certainly has worked. But the idea of so many long-developing plays, if you will, i.e. go-routes, and a bad OL just made for a bad result a lot. My feeling is, without having seen the Mike Norvell offense in person, certainly seen it on tape, it just feels like this offensive staff is going to do a better job of saying, well, this is what we are, and we know we have these weaknesses. So if we can't block it up on third and 12, we're not going to have everybody running verticals. We may complete an eight-yard pass on third and 12 and have to punt, but that's eight yards of field position in our favor before we do. Does that make sense? I, I totally agree. I think, you know, the big things the last couple of years that drove you nuts, you know, beyond the pre-snap penalties, it, it seemed to be that the coaching staff wasn't adapting to the limitations that you have. And, and some of those were offensive line, whether it was inconsistency or injury. And, and some of it was it didn't feel like they were going to utilize certain playmakers enough and, and maybe leaning too much on, you know, a Tamari and Terry in that go route or, hey, Cam Makers, can you bail us out one more time here with, with some yards after contact? I, I think if, if Norvell can just put in some plays that very quick, rhythmic, passing game and Norvell has said he he likes to keep a a pretty quick rhythm in that passing offense if they can mix in the run the pass and and you're not having those negative plays if you're not in in bad situations on second and third down we can see the chains continue extend drives and at the very least if if you're in field goal range get that field goal and if you're not punt it deep so that your defense has a long field to defend too. So you don't have those kind of draining three and outs that then they're putting your defense in a bad spot too. The series that come to mind that I've tried to watch from the memory is bubble screen right for minus two, bubble screen left for minus two, sack on third down that took 37 seconds off the clock. So hopefully we've got a little different thing going on this year. Has there been much – is there any read on – how the kicker, kickers, punter are doing. I know the sort of the Aussie legend is already growing and we haven't seen him boot the football yet. So I don't know if that's real or fabricated. And then the second part, has there been word on, on who's handling the returns, both kick and punt? You know, some of it's still, you know, unsettled. I think at, at punt return and kick return, it sounds like they have a ton of candidates there from, from Corbin to Isaiah Bolden to Keyshawn Helton. Um, there's just a ton of options there. I think at punter, obviously this is an Alex Mastromano job and, and he's been lauded for his, for his hang time and the boom in his leg. So I'm not, I'm not sure everybody's going to be wanting to be curious what he can do on, on September 12th, but you know, you might be watching just to kind of see, wow, does he live up to what's been built up? And, and at kicker, the only thing we've really heard is that it, it's been a really close competition um, 
So how that one plays out between Fitzgerald and Growth House, in reality, you you kind of have to roll the dice and put them in some tough situations and in practices, you know, crank up the crowd noise a little bit, maybe have some players hooting and hollering off to the side and, and just kind of get get in their um, you know mental mindset and then see how they perform. But it, it sounds like special teams, and we haven't said this in a long time, special teams could be a positive overall throughout the different groups from coverage to returns to kicking. And that just hasn't been the case in recent years for Florida State. You mentioned the name Isaiah Bolden. Apparently a position switch uh, has, has transpired. Fill us in. Yeah, Coach Norvell saying Wednesday morning that Isaiah Bolden is is moving to receiver from defensive back. And this is an interesting move because Bolden is 6'2", almost 200 pounds. You know, in in high school, he was uh, third place in, in a state track meet in the 100. So he can certainly fly. There are a lot of elements there. He's been a return man. I, I think he has the makings of a receiver. And, and this feels a little bit like a project, but a nice roll of the dice, I think, from the Florida State standpoint. And also with this new rule, you've got the opportunity where you can play as many games as you want. You're not going to be penalized a season of eligibility. So this isn't like, hey, there's two weeks before the season. Do you mind switching positions? And we'll just see how this plays out. Really, there's there's nothing to lose here from the standpoint of Coach Norvell and Isaiah Bolton, who was probably a little bit buried on the depth chart at defensive back. Now he might feel like I've got a real shot at, at a position moving forward. The coaches feel confident in what I can do at receiver. So what kind of contribution can he bring this year? Big question mark, but I think it could pay dividends definitely moving down the road. He is our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante. You can find his work and the work of his colleagues uh, online at theosceola.com to stay in touch with Florida State football. Bob, uh, you know, we'll, we'll reconvene a week from now, and at that point we'll be 10 days from the season opener. So uh, keep on keeping on. Appreciate it. Take care. Back to wrap up Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. KJ is back with the program. Keith, let's bounce back to football. I had that conversation with Bob Ferrante, our Osceola insider. And I know it's a little bit later in the show each week when I bring this up, but we're, you know, we're two and a half weeks away. Knock on something. Well, and I think that's the, that's the holding of the breath and the knocking of the wood because you hear about uh, what happened in Alabama this week with over 500 kids testing positive. We talked last week about uh, practices being suspended at both North Carolina and Notre Dame. Uh, and again, my fear, hopefully it's unfounded. I'll be glad to say I'm wrong, is that you know we, we kick off and we play a game or two or three and then something else happens and we have to suspend everything. So we're kind of in the, are we really going to do this? Because we've been talking for so long about how it's not going to happen. And now that it's on the precipice of happening, there's just really not the excitement and enthusiasm. We all are just holding our breath, as, as I said. 
so it, it continues to be interesting in very different ways. Well, my phrase has been, I'll believe it when I'm standing on the sideline and I see it, but I'm not going to be standing on the sideline this year because there's no sideline access for sideline reporters across the ACC, maybe across college football. So I'm going to have to change that refrain till I'll believe it when I see it from some vantage point. <laughs> from some vantage point, exactly, exactly. From some vantage point. And, hey. it, you know, d- televising the games, broadcasting the games, covering the games uh, is going to be much different. So what uh, fans are going to read and hear is going to be altered uh, in terms of, of, you know, game stories and those types of things as well. Well, all of preseason camp has been via Zoom. There's no face-to-face interaction among media and the coaches and the players. And I think that's the way the entire season is going to go. Uh, media will be allowed to some degree. I don't know that it's the full complement, but the post game will be done via Zoom, not in the same room. I, whatever we do on the radio network, and I don't know for sure, likely to head that same direction. So it is a different dynamic. And for all the talk about keeping players in a bubble, they're students too. You can't truly keep them in a bubble, but they're doing a good job of uh, keeping media outside of that circle, so to speak. And I don't well, mean I think, that in a I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean right. This is this is how we're going to do it. Well, certainly the media members, and particularly the beat writers, as we call them, no disrespect, that's just what they've been known forever. Uh, you know, don't like having the access because they pick up on facial expressions and private conversations and things like that. So their job has been, uh, you know, exponentially more difficult. Uh, but it's it's the new norm. It's it's how we're operating. You're going to see the same thing because there'll be some college games that have nobody in the stands. Florida State's plan is to be at the 20-25% threshold of capacity. Um, It was just announced in Mississippi that uh, they will not allow tailgating. Uh, As of the last information we have from Florida State, uh, tailgating will be allowed on a restricted basis with some uh, parameters involved. So it's going to vary across states. It's going to vary across leagues. And, um, you know, the proverbial best practices, you know, we're going to find out. I'm sure somebody's doing it one way or the other, and there'll be plenty of schools that adopt whatever that new procedure is that just no one's thought of that works out well. Um, it, it, the phrase that we've used over and over again, it's very, very fluid. And uh, with two storms in the Gulf, uh, as we're uh, taping this, uh, it's fluid in the weather, it's fluid on the field. It is. Hey, one of the things that came to fruition within the last week or so, and I think on the surface everybody's for this, and, and that is that the NCAA Division One Board of Directors voted last week to give all fall sports student-athletes an additional year of eligibility and an additional year to compete it through a, through a blanket waiver. So we, we just talked to Trey Jones about that because he's got a senior on his team that took advantage of that from last year. So a couple things here. One – this could be your senior year, and if you're not good enough for the NFL, you know, you're, you're a rung below that. Now you've got two years left. But what's not talked about that is the budget implications that come with that. And so when we look back at the spring, Keith, I think there were roughly 60 seniors at FSU, and as it shook out, about 20 of them took advantage of an extra year. Well, that's real dollars in the budget. And so if you project for all the fall sports right now, including football, I don't know, if, if you just say it's going to be a third again, that's another 20, 25 student athletes that might opt to come back. Well, except that the fall sports, because of football's limita- uh, football's uh, numbers, maybe it may not be 60 kids that a third yeah, that's come true. back. 
It may be 90 or 100, or particularly with football, you may have signed 23, 25 kids of that class, three or four of them have matriculated on for other reasons, two or three of them go in the draft. Now you've got 18 kids coming back, and you were projecting to sign 25 unless there's a waiver of the 85 scholarship limitation. You can only sign seven kids next year. Well, that I think that, is going to be really problematic. No, I think they'll make the waivers there. But it's know. not official yet. And even if they do, now you've got 18 more kids in the football program. And as Jerry Coots put out, pointed out, as we talked about a couple of three year, uh, weeks ago, that scholarship and related benefits for the entire career is somewhere around a quarter of a million. So for one extra year, it's somewhere, let's just say, $60,000, 18 kids come back, you're at a million dollars of additional expenses. That's far different than what you have to do for basketball, baseball, golf, or other sports. It will get very interesting. I just pointed out because the headline, and it's true, so you've got some number of players who aren't competing at all, so certainly rightly give them another year. You've got some who don't want to be pressured into playing this last year because they have concerns, and so they can now sit out and still come back for another year. Then you've got others who are playing who may have that option. But at the end of the day, there are budget consequences for that. I don't know what the ACC is doing with its reserves, Keith. And I say that, and I think the estimates were 30 or $35 million were in the ACC reserves. I don't know if they used any of that to help member institutions pay for COVID testing, for example. Could you use it for this? You know, maybe not fund every scholarship, but help offset some of your members' budgets because you have some reserves and it's a unique circumstance. I honestly don't know. It's easy for me to sit here and say this is how they should spend their reserves. But but it's one thing that's out there potentially. Certainly discussions to be had. And the other point of it as we wrap up is from a coach's perspective, you don't have to worry about managing your red shirts this year. You know, they did expand the rule. You could play, what, in four games? and still be considered for red shirt. Well, you don't have, you know, you, you can play your freshman six or seven plays every game, not just four games. And yeah. that has ramifications on down the road as well. We'll just have to see them all work themselves out. Two and a half weeks away. We'll see. Congratulations to Deontay Sheffield and Wyatt Rector for uh, earning their scholarships. That was announced earlier this week. That's always a highlight when guys that uh, are blue collar guys, uh, you know, and, and in Deontay's case, he was promised a scholarship when he got here, I think, and it's taken a while to get there. So good for them. I will tell you that universally, whether it was last year or 41 years ago, everyone on that team appreciates the walk-ons. And when those walk-ons get rewarded with those scholarships, they get congratulated by everyone, not just their class, not just their segment but everyone, because everybody out there knows how hard it is to play college football not on scholarship. And when they get rewarded with that, uh, everybody rejoices in that. It's a, good, it's a good time. It's a good time for that short period of time. That's the disclaimer for this show. It's a good time for that short period of time, one hour every Wednesday. Keith, we'll do it again next week. Look forward to it. Talk to you then. Thanks for tuning in. This is Front Row Knowles. We don't need no thoughts control.